Father, we thank you for your presence and for your power, and we thank you for your word and this amazing, amazing grace that we are on the receiving end of. Um, God, all praise to the name of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. All power and dominion, all authority belongs to you. And this morning, you have our adoration. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Grab your seats, everybody. Thank you so much, worship team. So about 15 years ago, my father-in-law, as he's prone to do, got himself a good deal on an old uh, little red Corvette. And I found myself uh, salivating a little bit until one day he throws the keys my way. He says, go on, why don't you take it out for a spin? So I was like, okay, 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 okay. He twisted my arm. So I found myself driving down the road in this lovely little red Corvette, really low down. Couldn't believe how low down on the road you are. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had this. Have you ever bought a car and you haven't noticed it so much in, around until you bought the car. You're like, oh, there's the car I bought. And so I was driving down the road in this little Corvette, and after about five or ten minutes, actually, I saw a brand new Corvette coming from the opposite direction, coming towards me. And I was like, wow, that's a really nice car, you know. And then something very unexpected happened. The fellow who was driving the car, just as we passed by each other, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I got one of these. I was like, oh, a friendly guy. Ten minutes later, lo and behold, because while I was looking for them, there was another lovely sports car Corvette right there. And this guy was coming from the opposite direction. And he may have taken two hands off the steering wheel because just as we passed each other, I got the, I got one of those. And then it clicked. Wait a second. This is a secret club that nobody told me about. I never knew. And obviously, I wasn't invited to the party here. There is an exclusive, only if you own a Corvette club. And when they see each other, they give each other the, hey. And I want to be in on that. I want to be able to give the nod. There was a little slight wink, a hint of a nod, a little affirmation going on. It was all very impressive. So it got me to thinking, of course, are there other secret clubs out there that I don't know anything about? And a gentleman from the first service told me that he drives a Jeep, that there's a whole Jeep thing going on that I never knew about. I don't know if there's a Harley Davidson thing. You wave beards at people. I don't know what it is. But there could be all kinds of clubs out there. So I have personally decided that I'm actually starting my own club, excuse me. So if you see me this week driving down Mission in my minivan, <laughs> now it's exclusive. You've got to have a two-wheel drive sliding door and uh, go zero to 45 in about 45 seconds. And if you've got that, watch out. Because I don't know what it's going to be. I have to think about it. But it's going to be some facial tick involved. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, you're welcome. So, yeah, if you're driving like your BMW or your Audi, I'm sorry. You're not in my club, okay? For the last number of weeks, we have looked at this series called The Rest of the Week. And actually, this is the final week in this series, week number five. And we've had a great time looking at, man, what does it mean? What does it mean for, for us as followers of Christ to... What, what do we do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? And that we never, ever, ever want to be, oh yeah, I did that thing on a Sunday and that is the full extent of me following this person called Jesus Christ. 
Surely there has to be more. There must be more. We cannot, we dare not become a Sunday country club, an exclusive little group of people who I know you and you know me and we're part of something together and we can affirm each other because we're all in this little club together. We dare not, dare not become a Sunday-only country club. We hear God's call to be ambassadors for the rest of the week. And we've also looked at this little phrase, to go and live it out. And I really like that phrase, go and live it out. So just in summary, very, very briefly, we've talked about the idea of having skin in the game. We've talked about incarnational ministry, what it actually looks like for somebody like you or, or like me to walk into any room, any given circumstance with people, mostly who are self-absorbed. Honestly, that's the, the mode of operation for 99% of people. And you can walk into a self-absorbed room and somehow do whatever it is the Father asks you to do in that moment. And in doing so, you are ushering in the kingdom of God. We've asked the question, where do you go? Everywhere. To whom do you go? Um, to everyone, and uh, then you got the answer of what do you say from my uh, baby big brother uh, on, the, on the side screen, and he simply gave us this phrase, you simply say hello, which is this idea of uh, it's the courage to have the conversation. It's the courage to go there and see what the Holy Spirit does. We have certainly, we took a whole week where we looked at uh, our, I think, our call to reach those who are impoverished and uh, a sense of justice. We looked at it another week, we looked at the idea that this challenge to be on mission is not meant to be done in isolation, but God calls us to be on mission in the context of community. We looked at community groups in the church here. And then finally last week, we looked at a, just a phenomenal scripture where it simply says this, the spirit of the living God is upon me. The spirit of the living God has anointed us to do what? To proclaim the good news to those who are brokenhearted, those who are blind, and those who are oppressed. And here we are on this final week. I really do like this phrase, to go and live it out. I like that a lot. Churches in this country, unfortunately, are shutting down, hundreds of them, on a, on a, on a weekly basis. One of the massive reasons why this is happening to churches across North America is that churches have become insular and self-centered. When a church's singular conversation revolves around how do we best meet our needs, then you're in trouble. You're going in the wrong direction. Somebody once said this, instead of being fishers of men, Christians today have become keepers of the aquarium. Little committees who enjoy ever so much having conversations about the color of the carpet or their musical preferences or more Bible studies or more potlucks or let's invite lecturers in to tell us what's wrong with society. None of that will cut it anymore. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with the color of the carpet and there's certainly nothing wrong with studying God's word. That's what we're doing right now and we certainly value that. But if the expression of that goes to an extreme place where you get four little Christians meeting inside some church building seven nights of the week so they can study Greek for 30 years, you've missed the point. It's become insular. It's become too self-centered. There has to be more to the expression of the church. This church does not exist for me. This church does not exist for you. This church is not about me getting a scratch where I itch. The church does not open its doors to meet with my personal preferences or yours. If you are a follower of Christ, please listen to this. We are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. The church does not exist for us. Why? We are the church and we exist for the world. Somebody give me an amen. 
So yes, we study the word of God. Absolutely. But that context must include beyond us studying the word of God. It has to look outward. It has to look particularly for broken people, for broken marriages, for for the forgotten soul, for the depressed and lonely mother, for the elderly and the sick and the forgotten and the hopeless, for the bruised and the weak, real people in the real world who have given up on God and turned their backs on the church. And they are your neighbors and they are your colleagues and they are your family members. To let them know that they are welcome here. And in this place, they will be loved. And there will be no expectation of perfection. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to talk a certain way. And that we believe on their behalf that with God, anything is possible. And the top of that list, as we look at all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, surely the top of that list that we want to reach out to and love and care for and communicate to in a compelling way are those who have never experienced the love of God like you and I have. What we would simply call the lost. Oswald J. Smith puts it like this. A church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission, that's making disciples, has forfeited its biblical right to exist. So when we say words like, go live it out, We take that really, really seriously. The reason why I bring up a story of driving my father-in-law's Corvette, which now sits in a pole barn under a blanket, is because it highlights something. It's a niche. It's an exclusive membership only. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't even know it was out there. It's a you're not, but we are type of mentality. And what I simply want to say about that story is that when it goes for this family, nothing could be more opposite for this place. The doors are wide open to the worst riffraff. That's how I got in the door. And that is the scandal of the gospel. So let me introduce you to, if I could, the worst riffraff. Luke chapter 19 says this. He entered Jericho And was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Anyone here enjoy paying tax? He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. And I really like this last statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's top of the list. Let me show you three actions of Jesus Christ. Three actions for people who are not in the club. Number one, Jesus loved outsiders. Jesus just loved people who are not in the club. He loved outsiders. Why was Zach, that's what I'm going to call him, 
me and Zach. Why was he so hated? Why did they hate him so much? Well, for this culture, historically speaking, there were a few professions that were considered to be immoral, and one of them was a tax collector. There were gamblers with dice, because people didn't like gambling. There were usurers, which is a fancy word for people who would lend money to high-risk individuals at exorbitant interest rates, and that was not looked upon well at all. And then there were pigeon keepers. Who knew? But the reason why it was pigeon keepers is because it was gambling money. And then there were tax collectors. And to make matters worse, Israel was under Roman imperialism. And so for Rome, extracting money from wherever they found themselves owning a colony was what it was all about. But they had a very specific strategy in terms of how they accomplished that. In fact, this is verbatim. This is an edict that that they had. It said this, Do not appoint Roman tax collectors. Let the barbarians be their tax collectors. So they would never appoint a Roman citizen to collect the tax. They would always get someone from that colony to do their dirty work for them. So he was seen as an agent of Rome. He was seen as a traitor to his fellow countrymen. He was considered to not only be a traitor, but that he skimmed from the top. Everybody knew that Zach was corrupt, and that's how he got so rich. Check this out. A devout Jewish man would never allow a tax collector to touch his clothes. That's how immoral it was considered. The exact language for them was the hem of your robe. If you were a tax collector from Rome and you, were, and you met a, a, a Jewish devout man who, who loved God and believed in God, he would not allow you to even touch your clothes. And then to top it all off, for the sake of ridicule, Zach was a small guy. He was a small-framed man. And so he needed security, and he needed prominence, and he found it. He found it in money, and he was really good at getting money. Jesus sees that whole picture that I've just described. Traitor, barbarian of Rome, tax collector, immoral, don't touch me. He's akin to a leper. He is an untouchable man. And Jesus looks at him in a crowd of perhaps a few hundred people all clamoring around Jesus Christ. He takes one look at Zach and he says, bullseye. That's who I'm looking for. You are the perfect description of what I'm looking for today. You are a man on the outside. You are a man who is hated and isolated. You're just what I'm looking for today. And out of this massive crowd of people, I want everybody to see who it is that I've actually come for. I hope they get it. I hope they catch it. I hope they see what I'm actually most interested in. I hope they grasp who it is that I've come to love. Author Brennan Manning puts it like this. Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and the weak need who, don't, who know they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. Why is Zach up the tree? Why would a despised man run the risk of getting into the thick of a crowd where people didn't even want to physically touch him. And then, to make matters worse, if everybody sees him up the tree, they're going to laugh at him all the more because he's a small man. And I have a theory about that. I think that Zach had heard about the reputation of Jesus Christ. I think he'd heard about this message and the miracles and the authority and the impact that he was having that he'd heard that, actually, he had taken 12 guys under his wing. 
And these 12 guys, he was caring for them and loving them and mentoring them and investing his life into them and nurturing them. And what blew Zach's mind was that he had heard a rumor that one of the 12's guys, his name was Matthew. And do you know what Matthew did for a living? Matthew was a tax collector. And Zach thought to himself, man, how can that be? He's not just a devout Jewish man. He's a rabbi. And he's actually mentoring somebody just like me. I've got to see this man. I've got to talk to this man. I've got to see, is it possible that that I could be on the receiving end of something like that? I love that reputation. I love the reputation of Jesus Christ. And so in terms of truth from God's word for us this morning, the challenge goes out to every single one of you that the way you personally live your life, and not only that, but the reputation of this local church, would you be a champion of a culture and a kingdom and a local church and a reputation itself that would simply say this, oh, I've heard of community church. Is that a place where it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been, to which we would say, absolutely, that we would actually champion that reputation. Oh, I've heard of community church. Is that the place where people actually are not interested in pointing their finger in judgment and that you have to have your act together before you walk in the door? Man, I I pray that that is our, our reputation. I pray that we are champions of that. Oh, I've heard of that place. Is that a place where even amongst themselves, They look at each other and they look at themselves as co-equal recipients of this incredible grace that they received at the foot of the cross. That they don't look down their nose and they don't think that they're better. Could this be true? Could this be true of us, of this family? Could this be true of you? And here's the conclusion that Zach came to. Maybe Jesus could love a mess like me. To which I would say to that reputation, yes, absolutely. Action number two. Jesus' action for those who are not on the club. Jesus turns outsiders into insiders. Look at how he does this. I think it's essential to understand that the invitation that is coming from your mouth is actually an invitation to belong. That's what the invitation is. It's not come to church. It's come and belong to a family. People are not projects. People are not tasks. Because we are convinced of the reality of this love and forgiveness and the power to eradicate shame. Anyone known shame in their life? I have. Because I'm convinced of that, I simply have to pass it on to the next person. We have this gut level experience of profound spiritual emptiness. I know what it means to be an outsider and so do you. And so in doing so, we become utterly convinced that every person can encounter this living God. And we are moved to invite outsiders to become insiders. My favorite verse, and this is how he does it, is in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, look at this, Zacchaeus, hurry, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I mean, do you sense the tone in that? Do you sense the urgency? It's like this is a non-negotiable moment for Jesus Christ. It's like I came from heaven to earth to keep this divine appointment with you. Yeah, up this guy up a tree right here, right now. And I think the urgency, the, the reason why I'm saying is hurrying is because Jesus is like, 
I don't want another second of your life where you are feeling and functioning and thinking and talking like an outsider. We've had enough of that, Zach. Surely you've had enough of that. We've got to be done with that and done with it quickly. Get down out of this tree. It's a non-negotiable. I must, I must, I must. I must spend some time with you. And I want everybody else to see this. So Jesus walks into Zach's home where he gives him dinner. Corned beef and cabbage, I think. I think it's in the Bible. Man, for some of us here today, you're exhausted trying to fulfill what do I have to do to make perfection? And you think perfection. That's what you think. And then you think punishment. You think you're untouchable. Can I tell you something really seriously? You're actually projecting something onto God that's just not true. You're taking an idea and you're saying, that's for you, God. That's the way you are. That's just not true. You're actually agreeing with a lie. I have to do that. I have to measure up in in some capacity. You've placed expectations upon yourself that have no source in Christ, certainly not in the Word of God. And this morning, God invites you. I want you to put down that struggle. Urgently, quickly, hurry. You've had enough of that in your life. Enough of that thinking. I want you to urgently be done with that. Enough outsider uh, functioning in your life. I want you to be an insider. Put down the self-conscious effort to simply think, I've got to be good to be loved. And I want you to become an insider. I want you to hear this invitation to be an insider, to allow yourself the luxury of simply being loved by God. Can you imagine this dinner scene? Can you imagine Jesus coming over to your house this afternoon? I'd be like, oh, I need a quick 10 minutes to tidy up, get the dishes out of the sink, get the corned beef and cabbage going. I mean, can you imagine the transformation for this small, untouchable, hated, and isolated man? Is it no wonder that he can't give his corrupt money up quickly enough? Because that no longer has value to him compared to being an insider with Christ. Action number three. For those who are not in the club, the invitation is to belong. Look at verse 6 and 7. I've taken, I've taken this from paraphrase. Zach scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck. Delighted. I love this phrase. Delighted to take Jesus home with him. Some of you today need to do this. You need to take Jesus home with you. Everyone who saw this, here's the, here's the Corvette club, guys. Everyone who saw this incident was indignant and they grumped. What a great word. When's the last time you had a good grump? Everyone who saw this incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? There it is. As far as I can understand this, I think we have two options as a church. Option A, I really wouldn't recommend, but it looks like this. We erect walls of legalism. We grump. We grumble and we moan. At people who don't look like us or talk like us and people who don't have their act together. We lead with hatred. We hate gay people. We hate transgender people. We reject anybody who votes differently to the way we vote. 
We distinguish people based on their appearance. We only welcome people into the club who have a personally made up some kind of standard that you have concocted in your head and you've convinced yourself that you've gotten from the Word of God. We pre-select depending on our shade of doctrine and image and behavior and money and job and whether or not you've been divorced or not and, what, and how checkered your past is. And if we can go through all of those lists, maybe or maybe not, we'll let you into this exclusive club. That makes me want to puke. Or we could go at option B. And I would recommend this one. What would it look like if this Christmas we championed every person that fits into Christ's description? And his description is so good. He simply, he ends this, this passage like this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. Here it is again, top of the list. It's the lost. How about we become a catalyst so that misfits can encounter the grace that you've encountered and the acceptance that you've encountered. And so now, what do we do? Well, we invite and we share meals and we open up our home and we open up our hearts and we open up conversations and then we reflect and we communicate the power of grace that, tr that turns frauds like us into friends in the family of God. And then we love outsiders and we turn outsiders into insiders and we invite people to belong. I want you, if you would be so kind and helpful, to grab this. It was on your seat as you came in today. If you're new to the church, you probably don't know what this is. If you've been around the church any period of time, you're probably well aware of what this is. I want to ask every single person here, please, would you grab this and then also grab a pen? Every single one, if you'd be so kind, I'd really appreciate it. And let me just, by way of explanation, all this is, is we are pretty active about praying for people who are lost. And so I want to ask you right now, in this moment to write down the names of three people that are a part of your life that do not know the love of Jesus Christ. So take a moment and do that right now. You work with them. They're a neighbor to you. Um, you went to school with them as a kid. You went to college with them. They're in your dorm. And just take a minute right now and write them down. And I want you to keep this card. I want you to put it in your wallet or your pocket or your, your handbag or your purse or your car or on a mirror, somewhere that you're going to see it on a regular basis. And then every time you see it, what do you do? You pray. You pray for these individuals. Guys, we would be crazy not to leverage the Christmas opportunity for the gospel. These are the invite cards. We gave them out last week. We have a bunch more on the table right back here. We have a bunch more in info. If you want to go and grab two or three or ten of them and give them out to everybody in the office, You'd be, you'd be shocked at how many people will come to church if you simply invite them at Christmas time. And so we want to take advantage of that. If you are here today and you're not a Christian, it might feel a little bit odd that we've kind of been talking about you a little bit. If you've been coming here for the last five weeks, we've been talking about you for the last five weeks. Bummer to be you for the last five weeks coming in here. If you've been here and you're like, it feels like you're talking about me like I'm not in the room, but hello, I'm here. I'm here, but I'm not a follower of Christ, and I've got questions, but do you mind? Like, I'm, I'm right here with you. And if that's you here today, I want to say this to you. We make absolutely no apology to you whatsoever. Simply for this reason, we are utterly convinced that the person of Jesus Christ transformed our lives, and the idea of keeping that to ourselves is unthinkable. We are thrilled that you're here today. We want to invite you to be an insider. If you are here today, we simply want to say this. You ready?
You're loved. You are welcomed here. There is no expectation that you are going to be absolutely perfect in your life. And we are convinced on your behalf that with God, anything is possible in your life. And this today is your invitation to belong. For the rest of us, as we drive our minivans down mission, I expect and hope and challenge that every one of us will go and live it out instead of an insulated, self-oriented church. That we would find ourselves on campus and in Kroger and in Meyer and in at Island Park and getting ice cream at Doozies and dropping off the kids at school and in the classroom and in the dorm room and at the office. And when we see each other, we will certainly give each other that wink and that nod, that affirming look. But it's not that because I see you and you see me and we're, some, we're part of some exclusive club. That's not what it is. When we see each other, we'll, we will certainly nod. But it is simply to say this. We both realize that we are surrounded by people who need Jesus Christ. And our antenna is up on high alert. The Holy Spirit, make us so attuned and so sensitive to you that we would proclaim the gospel wherever you want us to do that. Here's what I want to do. I want to close this entire series in, series in prayer right now. And what I want to do is I actually want to, I want to commission us as a church. I want to pray for you that where you go, where God has you on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that you will be a lighthouse. I want you to think right now, where do you work? I want you to picture your business, your office, the factory floor, the guys that you work with, the girls that you work with, whatever scenario, the places that you get to go beyond this place on a Sunday. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to actually pray a commissioning over every single one of us. I'm going to begin to describe stages of life, particular roles that we hold, and then more specifically, um, occupations that we have in terms of employment. And what I want to ask you to do is, as I pray, as I say, let's say, for example, a, a, a profession, and you're like, that's my job. That's what I do. I want to ask you to stand and be counted in this moment. And then I want to pray God's blessing over you in the place that God has you to be a light, sometimes in a dark place. Does this make sense? So if you'd be so kind, as I pray, as soon as you hear me mentioning something and you're like, okay, that's me, I just want to ask if you would stand in that moment. So Father, thank you for the last five weeks, a challenge for us to go and live it out. Every single day of the week, God, we actually repent of any sense in which we have we have been Sunday-only Christians. God, we're so sorry for that. Lord, we hear the call to be your ambassador. Thank you for exactly the place that you have us. So every student in church today, would you please stand? Any person in retail? Anyone in sales or IT? Anyone here in childcare or education or academia, would you stand and be counted? Anyone in the service industry or insurance or farming or health? Anyone in arts and entertainment, financial planning or banking, business owners and entrepreneurs? Those of you who work from home in your business or on behalf of somebody else? Those here who raise children, Every father and mother, every grandparent, foster parent, adopted parent, and guardians, those in manufacturing, and every retired person today, those in the sciences or communication or business or engineering or marketing or languages or leadership or writing, 
every social worker and every government worker, yes, and even tax collectors. For every man in the house of God today, every woman in the house of God today, every child, every person who has breath in their lungs, stand and be counted. We release you. We send you out. We commission you to represent the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ, that you would be the invitation to the cross in each and every sphere, every influence, every home, every office, every factory floor, every neighborhood, every highway and byway, every field and hedge and home, that your place of business would be a lighthouse in this community. I speak this over your life. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. He has anointed you to proclaim good news to proclaim freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And so God, now we pray for boldness and courage and the right words and skin in the game and loving service and pouring out our lives. Thank you for exactly the place where you have each and every one of us to bring a light into the darkness. And we pray that this Christmas, many Zacks would come to the one who came to seek and save the lost. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Go live it out.